0: Blog Talk Radio
1: to research at the national archives and beyond blog talk radio this is your host bernice alexander bennett and i would like to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the national archives and beyond this show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen learn and take action if you have logged in as a guest, and I do see some guests in the chat room, and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. And then following the show, you can continue this discussion on com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, please like both pages. Well, tonight's discussion will focus on research in South Carolina. Now, this is not the first time South Carolina research has been covered on this show. Tanya Broder, the director of the Tompkins Library, the home of the Old Edgefield District, South Carolina Genealogical Society, shared resources available at the library as well as through the society. The late Gloria Ramsey Lucas discussed her book, The Slave Records of Edgefield County. The Wanderer Project was presented by April Hines and Reverend Fred Morton, and Slave Life in Documents, Edgefield Laborers, was covered by Dr. Maggie Morehouse. And then most recently, we had Sonia Grantham and Douglas Galbraith discuss the 371st Infantry of World War One. So this is certainly an area that we have covered many, many occasions, not to mention Low Country Africano with several individuals. So research in South Carolina, and specifically uh, Edgefield, South Carolina, is the setting for a new book entitled Our Ancestors, Our Stories, sharing resources that they use to write their stories include Harris Bailey, Jr., Ellen LaVon Butler, Ethel Daly, Vincent Shepherd and yours truly, Bernice Alexander Bennett. We collectively refer to ourselves as the Memory Keepers. So let me give a warm welcome to the Memory Keepers to research at the National Archives and beyond. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. So we're going to start off this discussion tonight with Harris Bailey, Jr., Harris is the historian for the Memory Keepers. So, Harris, I'd like to start off by asking you, why is a fundamental understanding of history important to genealogy?
2: Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Math has never been my strong set, Uh, but I was thinking one day there are equations to explain everything under the sun. So I came up with my own equation uh, that explains the relationship of genealogy to history, and that's G minus H equal I. Uh, genealogy minus history equals incomplete. History places your geneal- genealogical studies within a, a larger context. It also enlightens the genealogists on why an ancestor acted in such a way, why they may have moved, why they may have stayed, It's the motivating factors of the events in a family's life. But history is not just about battles and people and politics. It's learning what the price of cotton was. Uh, It it could be the impact of a huge revival uh, on a community. It's how a sporting event may have pulled a community together, what was the largest religious denomination in the area. Uh, Even, for example, how would bad weather or a drought have affected your family? Uh, In case management, we talk about addressing the holistic need of a client.
3: Uh, History
2: is taking a holistic approach to genealogy. It's important to read history because well-researched and documented history leads you to other sources. And the more that you read, the more that you will understand.
1: That is so right. So what were you hoping to achieve in writing your chapter in the book? on the history of Edgeville
2: well I had a difficult task because I needed to compress 250 years of history into 7,000 words Uh, and I am very thankful to Anita Paul for giving me some wiggle room and letting me bump up my word count a bit since I was a freshman at college uh, in Greenwood uh, I had a dream that uh, one day we could have a more culturally inclusive history in other words uh, mainstream of, in other words, I hope that one day we could, uh, uh, we could. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, I was hoping that we could have a history that was much more inclusive, and it was more than just slavery. Uh, I wanted to show as a Europe that as Europeans made their way into the western frontier of South Carolina, Africans were by their side, not just as slaves, but also as free people of color. I also wanted to show that while Edgefield has a reputation of being a rough and tumble place, it was not just rough for African Americans, but for everyone. Edgefield was a violent place, but it was violent for everyone. What I learned from my research is that to survive, everyone in Edgefield had to find some form of accommodation. It was not perfect, but the fact that Edgefield County remained a black-majority county until 1960 says that something was working there that kept African Americans there and to me that is the task of the next generation of historians and genealogists is to figure out what was the glue that held those people in
1: place well I think that certainly is a a question to ask I mean what was the glue so help us understand some of the sources that you use to to put together your chapter.
2: I had hoped that Dr. Burton was going to be on tonight because he could probably do this better than I could. But uh, first I started with what I call the Foundation Histories of of the South Carolina Frontier, and that would be Robert Merriweather's Expansion of South Carolina and then John Chapman's History of Edgefield County and followed that up with uh, John... Rigdon's first families of Edgefield, and of course Dr. Burden's my, in my house are many mansions. But I also looked at *Bitter, Bitter Freedom*, uh, which was edited by Susan and Robert Johnson Johnson, and that is uh, the uh, journal of William Stone. And Stone was a Freedmen Bureau officer in Avilla, Edgefield, and Aiken, Aiken uh, during Reconstruction. So he gives a very uh, vivid picture of Edgefield during that period. I also looked at the general histories of South Carolina. I always start with David Wallace, who history of South Carolina, and I also looked at uh, Archie Huff, Dr. Archie Huff, and, and his history of South Carolina and the building of a nation. And uh, you can't leave out Walter Edgar and also William Sims and also Jack Bass and, and Scott Wallace uh, and their generalized histories. But for more specialized studies, I also looked at, well, who I call the Dean of South Carolina Historians, uh, George Tyndall and his South Carolina Negroes. But uh, I was also it was also very helpful to look at Lucy Fo- Lacey Ford's Origin of Southern Radis- Radicalism, uh, South Carolina Upcountry, 1800-1860. And that was a very useful book in also understanding the economic cycles in the state, but also an unexpected genealogical tool And also I looked at Lou Faulkner Williams, the great South Carolina Ku Klux Klan trial, which gives you a very good overview of the Klan in South Carolina doing uh, Reconstruction. And I I would be remiss not to mention Eric Farner uh, and his study on Reconstruction called Reconstruction, the Unfinished, Unfinished Story. I think that's the name of it. And then Freedom Lawman, in which he cataloged every African-American who held political office in the uh, former Confederate states during Reconstruction. And another source that people probably don't even think about is the South Carolina Historical Magazine. Uh, The South Carolina Historical Society began publishing that magazine in 1900, and at that point it was called the South Carolina Historical and Genealogical Magazine. It was a quarterly publication, and it is smack full of good Genealogy articles as well as history articles. Uh, but like I said, you know, there's too many sources to mention in the in the short period of time that I have. But it's always good to to do your research uh, and 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 just kind of look at other stuff that's out there.
1: Yes, and, you know, you, you mentioned all of these resources, and one of them you did mention in Our Father's House there are many mansions by Dr. Alville, uh Vernon Burton. And what can you say to our group, and I know we don't have Dr. Burton on this uh, call, but certainly what can you say about this book as far as helping people just understand the context. I mean, where is Edgeville? What made up Edgeville? And what does it really mean? In our Father's house, there are many mansions.
2: Well, first of all, this is a groundbreaking book because it kind of breaks the mold of, of, of narrative history because he mixes narrative history, genealogy, and also sociology to give you an overview of of, of life in Edgefield County, for African Americans, for Caucasians, and how they in, interacted, not only from slavery times up until the post, up to Reconstruction and post-Reconstruction, but it also gives you insights into the free people of color in Edgefield Also, so you know, like I said, his is a groundbreaking work. Uh, uh, it's much better history than say uh, John Chapman. And, and we call John Chapman the old historical style, which is a little bit of gossip and a little bit of history. Uh, uh, so, you know, but but that, you know that book, and the Chapman book, and uh, the Burton book should be your foundation books if you're looking at the history of Edgefield County.
1: Okay. Now, I also know that in, in 2009, the old Edgefield, at that time, District African American Genealogy Society, sponsored a program called Voices. And uh, can you speak uh, to us about this, uh, Voices, because you relied heavily upon slave narratives. So we tell did. us something about the slave narratives and uh, about the program and how these narratives can be utilized in doing genealogical research.
2: Well, the idea of voices came out of a book uh, by a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Bright, and that book is titled A Slave No More. And the Slave No More was a tale of two slaves who had, who had escaped from freedom, who had escaped slavery. Uh, and it was based on books that they had written. uh The story of William Turnage is well worth the price of the book. I love that story uh i thought and uh and what what Bright had done a program in Seattle Washington, where he had professional actors uh, uh read selections from from that book and I thought and I was watching this program, and I thought I can do that. And so, what I wanted to do was to take uh, the uh, slave narratives from our region of the state, and then tell a story of the African American experience through the voices that came out of those slave narratives. Now, the slave narratives—the um, uh, slave narratives were an initiative that was part of the WPA Writers Project, where they were during the, uh, during the Great Depression. They had writers go out and interview uh, individuals who were still alive, who had lived in slavery, or who had born, been born shortly after slavery. And these collections are—you can find them on—you can find them on the uh, National Archives website. You can also find them on Ancestry. But uh, many of these uh, narratives are on, online, and you can just. Tap just type in slave narratives and it'll pull them up, or you can also buy copies of books of slave narratives. Uh, What we did was once we got, once I had put scripts together, I went and I tried to get the local college to give me a director to direct the 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 scripts and the the program, but I couldn't get one, so I ended up doing it myself, and it was less directing and more coordinating. And what I did was I brought in regular people instead of actors. Uh, I brought in two preachers. I brought in a young man who was uh, uh, in a GED class. Uh, I brought in the uh, a college professor, the director of the local museum, and my moderator was the chairman of, of the Abbeville County Council. And what we wanted to do was to tell the story of the black experience through these voices, and we put some other stuff in too. too. Uh, and, and that's what we did. And while we used the uh, why the slave narratives are important? Well, for one thing, if you're lucky, well, first of all, uh, the slave narratives can give you insights into what life was like for individuals who were slaves. And this is not a Hollywood version. It's not a television version. This is the actual words of individuals who lived as slaves. Uh, so you get some insights into that. Sometimes if you're really, really lucky, you can also find, you might find a slave narrative that is an ancestor of yours, and uh, sometimes, if you're not so lucky, you might be lucky enough to find a slave narrative of a slave who was on a plantation that your relative, uh, your ancestor, may have been on. So you get kind of a flavor and a feel for uh, uh, what it would have been like, and uh, these are untapped sources. Uh, you know that, that genealogists really haven't looked at, and I think that that if we took the time, uh, we could gather a great deal of information from that information. And just as a shout out to a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Robert K. Phillips, he's editor of one of one of the last of the slave narratives that was written. and it was it's called Weevils in the Wheat, and it's a collection of Virginia slave narratives. And that book is considered one of the best collections ever put together
1: well thank you so much just for talking about the slave narratives now i want to i'm going to say something else about the slave narratives but i want to take you in a different direction now there are a large number of african-americans with ties to south carolina and almost every corner of the united states can you speak to some of the out-migration events that have affected South Carolina in general and Edgefield in specific?
2: Well, I was looking at some information this afternoon, and, uh, and as you know, Charleston is considered the Ellis Island of, of African Americans. Uh, during the international slave trade, they estimated at least 200,000 uh, enslaved Africans passed through Ishfield. Now, this claim and the claim has been made that today roughly 40% of, Afri- of the African-American population in the United States can trace their ancestral roots to Western Africa, West Africa, Viva Charleston. Uh Daniel Littlefield, who's also a South Carolina historian and a very good South Carolina historian, makes the argument that Charleston was just one important South Carolina port of entry and that the 200,000 number is an undercount. Uh, In my my chapter, I talk a lot about the various economic cycles that South Carolina experiences. Uh, And those economic cycles uh the you know, what fueled those economic cycles was uh basically uh, the uh, the the attempt to find new opportunities. Uh and a lot of these new opportunities fueled the out migrations from the state. Uh the first of the major out migrations occurred in the nineteen in the eighteen twenties, uh and and they were triggered by basically two events. One was a na- nationwide economic depression that devalued the cost of cotton and the market value of slaves, and the other was the removal of southern of the southern India, Indian tribes and the opening of cheap land in Alabama and Mississippi. Uh, seeking new opportunities and fresh start, many South Carolinians went west, uh, seeking their fortune in the new territories, and basically they took their slaves with them. Uh, Sometimes we really don't think about this, but. Uh, you have to consider also the internal slave trade and how that dis- how that impact the distribution of enslaved African Americans in other parts of the nation from South Carolina. Uh, Lacey Ford has written a su- uh, written a- on this subject, but I hadn't had an opportunity to look at his work on this subject yet. Uh, the second migration event was Reconstruction and post-Reconstruction period. I believe that opportunity and the lack of opportunity was the driving force behind this event. Uh, The first wave uh, of African Americans leaving South Carolina went to Kansas. Uh, The second wave of African Americans leaving the the state went to Arkansas. Uh, The state of Arkansas took a very aggressive stance in recruiting uh, agricultural labor to uh, to their state to replace a substantial (laughs) number of African Americans who had left Arkansas. And that third wave of outmigration, uh, while not as large as the Kansas and, and Arkansas exodus, was the Liberian exodus. Uh, one of the modern presidents of Liberia, William Talbot, Jr., was a descendant of ancestors from 96 South Carolina. And George Tyndall and A.B. Williams writes about the Liberian uh, uh, exodus. But that final outmigration occurred in the 1920s, And basically this was young African Americans who came from the agricultural south, agricultural South Carolina in particular, leaving the state uh, seeking better opportunities in the industrial north. So, you know, the way that I interpret it is that uh, people left South Carolina for opportunities, be it black people, be it white people. They looked for another opportunity. Uh, And like I said, some people went to Kansas some people went to Arkansas, some went to Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. So you have that migration from South Carolina into other parts of of the United States.
1: And so individuals when they begin to search for their roots and they start seeing South Carolina on the on the census, they need to also take into consideration some of these uh, events, the first mm-hmm. wave to Kansas, as you mentioned, the second wave to Arkansas, the third Liberian exodus, and then what happened in the 1920s and the big migration with folks leaving to the north. So you basically could say wherever, whenever you start seeing those records and you see South Carolina, definitely keep that, that in mind. Now, and,
2: and, and also when you're looking at that 1920 uh, exodus, Different people from different parts of the state went to different places. Uh, okay. Uh, for example, in the Edgefield, Greenwood, Greenville area, that line was up to Pennsylvania to, uh, yeah. to Philadelphia, uh, and then say on the other parts of the state, it was up to Virginia to to work in to work in the, uh, to work in the uh, uh, shipyards in in Newport News. So and then some people went to west virginia so uh you need to look at you know where people were and where they were going and like most migration what usually happened is one person went set up a household and then either sent money back or uh, or they sent for people to come up so you know that's how migration And you can work.
1: even and you can almost see that in the census. if mm-hmm. you start looking I noticed that in the 1940 census especially in Washington, D.C., tracking one of my ancestors. And I could see uh, where a whole – it look, it almost looked like a whole neighborhood was full of folks from mm-hmm. South Carolina. And so you definitely can, can track that migration to say where they went based on where they came from. Uh, I also want to just have you just give us the various places that made up the old Edgefield District so that when people start – seeing, let's say, Orangeburg, you know, Collington County, or Aikens, that they understand that these places were also part of, at one time, the Old Asheville District. So just give us the parameters so we know uh, what we're talking about when we move on to our next uh, speaker.
2: The Old Asheville District consisted of parts of Greenwood County, parts of Abbeville County, parts of... uh, well, all of Aiken County and all of McCormick County, but a lot of people from Edgefield migrated to Barnwell, and Barnwell is next to Clarendon and Orangeburg. So, so you had people moving back and forth. Uh, a lot of people uh, in Edgefield when Aiken was formed, which was the first state, first county broken off from Edgefield. Uh, Moved down into Aiken, and it was always a concentration of African Americans in that section of, of of the old district, anyway, down in the Hamburg region and what's now North Augusta. Uh, so you know, and, and people move. Uh, mm-hmm. People move with you know with uh, according to tenant farming, according to, to sharecropping, and, and where there was a need. You had that migration back and forth. People were moving back and forth between those counties, and moving back and forth between Georgia and South Carolina.
1: Okay. And is there anything else we need to know right now about the history of Edgefield before we move on to uh, uh, learning about some other resources?
2: I was down in Edgefield County today, and somebody said there's a black bear down there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you okay so there's a black bear in edgeville okay great (laughs) okay we'll, we'll move on now and hear from uh vincent shepherd and vincent welcome to research at the national archives and beyond
0: thank you good evening all
1: well vincent you know just tell us about yourself and then tell us why and when did you begin your genealogy research in Edgeville or, for that matter, South Carolina.
0: Okay. Well, I I was born and raised in New York City. And um, I joined the Navy and when I was 17. Uh, retired from the Navy in 97. I uh, co-founded a uh, family association, which consists of little bit more than 1,500 family members to date. That's uh, called a Posey Descendants National Family Association. And this is all based on my great, great, great grandfather. It's a tribute to him, his wife, Nisey, Posey, and uh, her twin sister, uh, Dicey. And so what I have done uh, over, over time would, would, would grasp my interest for genealogy, really, was something that started out when I was very young, and okay. basically, it was a byproduct of listening to so many people, family members, community members. Because back in the, 60, in the 60s, excuse me, there was a lot of a, a lot of community involvement where, and, and a lot of you, a lot of you understand this, where even your neighbors were somewhat your surrogate parents or even okay. grandparents. And so, them knowing, knowing my family, uh, my, my my um, my my maternal and paternal family members, a lot of them knew my neighbors, as they came to visit from even the south, they were treated like family, to even the neighbors. So, I began to gain an interest based on all of this information that was coming at me, to want to know a lot more about how to find other family members, and so okay. I was even given. I was even given that information as to how how to find other other family members, and even when I went south,
1: how to find family members down there that um, I, I had only heard about in New York. So well, it, just it was, tell us, yeah, tell us more about the 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 resources. How did you go about finding family members? And and what kind of questions did you need to have answered to construct your your family tree and your stories? Okay. Well and and I had to have what what
0: I had to have was information about where where I needed to go to find these family members. And again in listening to a lot of family, I began to realize that okay, I have family members that came out of Augusta, Georgia. I didn't know anything about Edgefield at the time. That, that came about later as I started actually doing research. But what really sparked my interest to start researching was, was in 1998 when I talked to an aunt who told me I needed to come to a family reunion and talk to some family members that knew a lot more about genealogy than, than they did. And it wasn't until 2003 that I did get to the family reunion. And at that point, I didn't hear what I wanted to hear. And that forced me to go back and just grab paper and start sending letters out to family members and saying, let's start connecting dots. I understand that we all have the same great-grandmother, but we need to connect dots. And even on my father's side of the family, I started doing the same. Now, my research, my, my sheer research started around 2005, and that's when I decided to get in the car and take this information with me, make appointments with, with family members that knew, that knew about family, and at the same time, something just just sparked me to go and, and, and look at grave sites that I hadn't heard about, because I heard that there was a wealth of knowledge in these grave sites, and it was, and, and that took me to D.C., where I started taking all this information and going down, looking in the roles, and pulling up census data, and connecting more dots. Until finally, I had a full picture of of a family tree on both my maternal and paternal side. And then it was just a matter of getting back with family members and confirming a lot more of this information.
1: Okay, so let me just get this straight. You... You spoke to your aunt. Your aunt told you that you needed to gather additional information, and so was it your first stop to visit grave sites, so you knew you knew where you were going as far as the cemeteries, or did you go to the National Archives and review some of the roles at the National Archives? What what came first? Well, well the
0: first thing that came was getting together with family members that knew that had information. Okay. The ones, the ones that were in the South, that had, you know, they 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 knew more family members than even the ones that I had heard about when I was visiting arts in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. And so, but for them, of course, because their time was valuable, I had to find the time in my own schedule to make an appointment with them so that I can go and sit down and spend some time with them. And, okay. and that's when I began to find out, even in making these appointments. We had some family members that would automatically push you to other family members. They really weren't right. well-versed, or they really didn't want to discuss a lot, but they knew that they trusted these other family members to do the right thing and, and, and give you enough information to move on. So I was actually going to meet up with other family members south, and then I took that information and went to D.C.
1: Okay, and what, you, what you're what you basically saying, though, because some people, I mean, they think, oh, I have to do my research, but they kind of miss that step of talking to family members. And so oh. you first talked to the family members to gather yes. as much information as you could before you went to the National Archives.
0: Yes. And, and, okay. and, again, what sparked that interest was as I was growing up and listening, I was already starting to to, to get names, names that I can identify with to, to the degree where I didn't even have to write many of them down. I just needed to know where they were. And then I got that, I, I got the information from other family members as to when I travel south, these are the folks that you want to talk to. So that's when I started making my appointments with those family members. Not, not, not everyone required an appointment, but there were a certain few that because of their work schedules and stuff, I had to make it a time when it was convenient for them, more so than myself, uh, so that I could sit down and spend a lot of time with them, or as much time as needed. Right. Now, after going back to D.C. and get in, and comparing notes with the information that I had, that's when I began to go back south, and this time I'm looking at—I was looking at cemeteries. I was even looking at landmarks, um, and my great great grandmother was really a a great help. I I think that the timing could not have been better because right before I went in the Navy, I got to see the first three days of Roots, and I got to listen to her compare notes to what I was watching on television. Oh, wow. She became the big inspiration for me to move forward, even though it it was almost a matter of 20 years before I actually got back and delved in. Because this mm-hmm. was seventy seven when I sat down with her mm-hmm. she she actually laid the groundwork for me to make these appointments later on to talk to these family members and gave me more information for me to go to d c and do the research and then go back south and this time I'm going back to cemeteries and and different and, and other places to gather more information
1: and what cemeteries did you visit and and were they all in Edgefield, or were they throughout the South?
0: Well, believe it or not, the Edgefield cemeteries I really didn't get to until 2010. Well, actually, nine and ten, 2009 and 2010. That's when I finally put the, put the big picture together and went even further with my great 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 grandfather, because it seems like no one in the family knew who that individual was in the band of family members that we had. Like from so mm-hmm. my great great grandfather. This was his son, uh or his father and nobody knew about him. So I kinda uh I kinda stumbled upon that through my research. And and believe it or not, census helped me with that.
1: Oh okay. so with through the census, you were able to identify family members, and then you went to the to the cemeteries and you were able to locate some of them Yes, okay. Were there any documents that I mean beyond the census records and going into the cemeteries, were there other documents or any other resources that you tapped into while you were in the the various communities of the old Edgeville district?
0: Well, I had a chance to sit down with some family members that had Bibles, and in these Bibles oh, okay. they had names. They had names. Um, some of them were family trees. It went back to like the 1800s, and I got to I, I got to actually see one of those family members that I was looking for when I was doing my research
3: in one mm-hmm. of the family
0: books, mm-hmm. and. I actually sat down with some of the sibling descendants of my great-great grandfather.
1: Okay, he had
0: he had 10. So I've, I've I've actually met 7 of the 10 descendants of my great-great grandfather's siblings.
1: Wow. That is wonderful. Now, you had an interesting experience uh, when you went to, to Edgeville, and it was at a, a gas station. And, and I'm asking uh, Vincent to tell us about this experience because what he has done is visited the home place. And so, Vincent, tell us about the experience of connecting with somebody at a gas station.
0: Okay. And I love telling this story. As a matter of fact, um, Nellie, and I'll get to her in a minute. I was actually going down to a funeral. My father's sister, the last of his siblings, had passed away. And I decided to go and stop in the research center at Hedgefield while I was there. So the funeral was in Newberry or Saluda, but I decided to stay in Hedgefield. And on my way out to head back to New York, I had some business cards that I had made up based on the family association, so I stopped in the gas station right there at Johnston, and I, I got gas and I drove off and I and I said, "Wait a minute! If I'm going to find any posies here or any descendants, I need to go back to the gas station and leave some business cards." So I went back into the into the gas station and I asked the the, the customer service lady there if she would not mind. um, well, first I asked her, are there any posies that, come that, that she knows of that comes around in in the gas station? And she said, yes, I do know a few posies. As a matter of fact, I go to church with some of them. And I said, that's so great. I said, could you be as kind as to take these business cards, and the next time they come in or you go to church, if you can hand them those business cards? And she said, sure. And, and, and I come to find out her name was Nellie. And Within forty eight hours of arriving back in New York about say about eleven thirty at night, I received a phone call from a cousin, a distant cousin, Minnie Posey. And Minnie Posey, the first thing she said is, So I hear you're looking for posies. Now, mind you, she was the granddaughter of my great great grandfather's brother. And that's when I knew I struck oil. And I was so happy. Because I didn't think, you know, everything is hit or miss, but it's different techniques for everybody. And, and that was just one that I used and it worked. And I've been handing out business cards ever since. And I've been getting phone calls. Some were, some were, were legit when I researched, and some it was a different, it was a different brand of posing. Right, you
1: know? right. Well, you know, only, I guess, maybe I can say this. Maybe I'm going out on a limb by saying only in a small community you can do this. But it connected. I mean, you found relatives and the information was passed on. And right. so, I mean, that, that was one, one kind of lesson learned to, to share uh, your business cards, to talk to people, to find other relatives. And for you, your, your resource became the people in the community. And you right. hit the people, you talked to the people first before you went to documents, and you gathered as much information. And certainly the family Bible with names and, and family trees, I, I, I know that was extremely valuable, not to mention your, your research in the cemeteries. And so obviously it worked because right. with, your, with your family association, how large is your family association now?
0: We're about thirteen hundred strong now.
1: Um, thirteen hundred, and, and and
0: and and it's still growing. I mean, I I just got a phone call just three weeks ago from a family member down there in in uh, in Israel, and she's and, and and she's a descendant of one of the other siblings of my yes. great 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 Right, so, um, and 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 uh, it's, it's just growing every week.
1: Well, Vincent, thank you so much for sharing with us your genealogical journey. One that I hope others will listen to and take heed to, especially if they've never been in the Edgefield area, to to connect with people that they know, certainly to talk to people in their own homes, and then. to to take that trip, to take that trip to the ancestral home. Now, I have a question coming in right now, and that question is from Area Code 504. Do you have a question or a comment? Area Code 504? Okay, I guess there's not a question. We're going to take a quick break and come back because we have uh, three other individuals who will be talking about resources in South Carolina and with some of the research that they've done. Quick break, everyone. (laughs) ...are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You can also find some of the archive shows on my website, com. You have been listening to the authors of Our Ancestors, Our Stories discuss research in South Carolina. And the book, Our Ancestors, Our Stories, is available on www.thememorykeepers.net website and on Amazon.com. Our next guest is Ellen Butler. And, Ellen, welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Thank you, Bernice. It's so good to be here. So good to hear your voice, Ellen. So, Ellen, tell us a little bit about yourself And then tell us why and when did you begin your genealogy research? Well, I was born in Edgefield, South Carolina, and I was raised by my grandparents, and I spent my early childhood years uh, with my grandparents, so I got a good introduction to the oral history of our family. They used to talk about, um, you know, their aunts and uncles all the time, so I had lots of names and, and information and different events about these people and their lives. And I left Edgefield at the age of 10 and moved to Washington, D.C. So I continued to communicate with my grandparents and continued to, like, just always talk about or, you know, they would share things about the the, the people. And my grandmother was the type of person that she liked to stay in touch with the family. I mean, this would be my grandfather's side of the family not even hers but his sisters and even his brother when they got married they kind of moved away and when i say away i mean in Edgefield when you moved to greenwood that was away and some of them lived in saluda but my grandmother always stayed in touch and we would always go visit so these were people not only did i know their names but i actually met most of them um at- as I started my formal research, so like I said, I had lots of information already, and when I started the, the formal process of going to the archives and looking at the census and records like that, I was surprised with all the information that I saw on the documentation, and I saw names of people that no one had ever mentioned so and when you say documentation, up, uh, what are you referencing as when you say documentation? Uh, the, the federal census. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, the uh, the U.S. federal census. I saw my great 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 grandfather. I saw my great grandfather and his siblings, and there were siblings listed that no one had ever mentioned to me. Okay. So that took me kind of on a search to try to find all of those uh, siblings and And also to get um to find the ones that I knew about, because i just i just had names i didn't always know who they married and I didn't know their children, so my process was to find everyone and to find out who they married and to and and, and their children and where they quote relocated when they left the south, where they relocated to Mhm does so that work when you a, go ahead uh, that that was just an interesting process. And when you talk, uh, looked at the census, what census records, how far back did you go as far as finding your, your ancestors? Well, of course, I found them on the 1870 census, but I have been able to find them even, uh, even further back in looking at other uh, documents. I actually, well, the book, um, Gloria Ramsey Lucas's book, Slave Records of Edgefield County, which is an excellent resource. That was the book that led me to documentation uh, going back to the 1830s. In Gloria Lucas's book, I found the reference to the wills that listed my ancestors as slaves, and it gave the name of the owner. I was able to order copies of the wills from the Airtria Archives, which has, um, I mean, an enormous amount of wills and documentation on our ancestors. And those wills gave me the specific information. It listed my ancestors. It listed um, my third great-grandmother, my second great-grandmother, and her children. And then I found another, and they were listed on the inventory. After the owner died, they were listed on this particular inventory. And then in 1861, I found the second will where, the the second owner died, and in her will, she listed the same family. However, my great grandmother had had additional children, so that that information was just invaluable. And all of those documents are available in the Edgefield Archives. I now, also go ahead. I was um, going to ask you a little bit more about the 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 book, the slave. Records of Edgefield County by Gloria Ramsey Lucas. Now, is this information indexed, or how did you find it? Because I know that it's about 440 pages and over 4,000 uh, transactions that are in this book. So how did you actually find your ancestor? Well, uh, it was a hard task because uh, the book is indexed, by the slave owner's name. So I had two names that I that I searched under. One was uh, my ancestors are butlers. So, of course, the first place I looked was under the bees and looking for the transactions from the butlers. I did not find my ancestors. The next name I had was Dorn, D-O-R-N, because our oral history said that our ancestors um, were on the Dorn Plantation. Again, I, I checked, and I did not find them listed under the Dorns. So I took on the task of just simply going through the book and looking for uh, slave names and specifically for a string, a string of names that matched my ancestors. And one evening or one night while I'm in bed, and I would just every night I would just go through a bunch of pages, and one night, I actually was, came across a page and looked down, and did not I see my great great grandmother and her four children, including my great great grandfather? So that it was the uh, I guess an, such an exciting moment for me. But that is actually how I found them. It was just through continuous looking at the book. That's right. And what year was that? i it was about eighteen thirty eighteen forty that yes that the record was um of a will in eighteen eighteen thirty six okay and, so eighteen yes. so you you now have discovered your ancestors in eighteen thirty six the information that helped you was the information in the slave records of Edgeville county. And then you went where? How did you you know that these were your people? Well, I actually had done research on on my family before, so I had my great-grandfather. I had the names of my great-grandfather and all of his siblings, and the first four names that was listed on the um, slave inventory or on the will were actually matched up exactly with the information that I already had. And so I knew that this was my family. Also, I had my great-grandfather's death certificate, which showed that his mother's name was Charlotte Phillips. And I mm-hmm. never paid that much attention to this Phillips name until I saw the reference in Gloria Lucas's book. And sure enough, my family was owned by... Joseph Phillips and Delilah Phillips. So that mm-hmm. is another way I knew I had these, uh, the correct family. So you had the death certificate, which was really great. So right now we have you have identified three resources: the slave record. You actually went to the, obtain the information from the archives, and you also had a death certificate. What other resource uh, or resources uh, have you found of use in South Carolina? Yeah, Well, um, other resources, and I would certainly like to recommend that people always check church records because I um, was able to get a copy of a book, Looking Back, Moving Ahead, and it's The Bicentennial History of Mountain Creek Baptist Church by Jody Peelier. And this book, um, well, I I actually – found out that the owner of my, the slave owner of my ancestors was a member of this church. And while looking at the membership list in the back of the book, I actually found my ancestor listed there along with her owners, and she is listed as a slave. And this probably, I think this goes back to like the, the 1820s. So I've actually found my ancestors in a, a church record book, okay, and w- which is an excellent resource, and obviously, you know you and I know that we both found our ancestors in this particular church record. Yes, and I would highly recommend that everyone church that everyone check church records because I also found another ancestor in a book um, on cemetery records in Atrill County. And the the um, title did not reference African-American churches, but I just picked the book up and looked at it, and it included a couple of African-American churches. And as I looked at it, I found um, th- the burial site of my second great-grandfather on my grandmother's side, and I had no idea that they were actually buried at this church. So those records are church? very important and should, you know, always be uh, looked at. And the Cemetery Records of Edgefield County is where? Where where can you find it? I actually, it is in the um, Edgefield Genealogy Library. Okay, the old Edgefield District Genealogy Yes, the Society old Edgefield District Library Genealogy Library. At the Tompkins Library. Yes, at the Tompkins Library. Okay. Um, anything else you want to tell us about the resources before we move to our next uh who can share with us some of uh, yes, the resources uh, she used. Uh, yeah, there are there were a couple of uh, valuable resources that I used. That uh, one of them uh, by Samara Thurmon. Uh, this particular book is called Selected Newspaper Articles from the Adairsville Advertiser, Adairsville Chronicle, and the Weekly Monitor. And I actually found some articles in that book on my ancestors and articles which gave me. Um, which explained what happened to our ancestors between 1880 and and 1900. I found an article which showed when a person died and and what happened, the accident that uh, brought about their death. And another very important um, resource that I found was another book by Samara Thurman, And the title of this book is Coroner's Inquisitions on African Americans Covering the Years 1838 to 1920 in Edgefield, South Carolina. And in that book, I found not one, but two inquisitions on the dead bodies of slave ancestors of mine. And... Those documents, most people probably would never even think to look for something like that. But the Inquisitions are there, and they provide such good information. They um, actually include statements from the other slaves regarding the event that happened that brought about the death of a particular slave. And not only do they give the statements, in many cases, they give the relationship to the person For instance, it said, Melissa, sister, Dublin, brother. So it puts your ancestors together and gives an exact relationship between the two people. That's right. And I posted, for some of you uh, may have seen, that I also posted the uh, inquisitions from Newberry. County, because again, just as Ellen has mentioned, you do start seeing relationships. You see the the event played out in the Inquisition, and so this is also an excellent resource. So you have mentioned the selective newspaper articles from the Edgefield Advertiser, Edgefield Chronicle, and the Weekly Monitor and South Carolina Relating to African Americans from the period of September 1833 to May 1900, and this was compiled by Samira Thurman. And where can they uh, obtain that book or see that information? Um, again, both of these books are available at the Tompkins Library in Edgeville. Okay, at the Tompkins Library at Edgeville. So yes. it, it's telling everyone, I mean, you, you need to, to think about taking that trip to the old Edgefield District Genealogical Society, because the library has a lot of the information that uh, is being mentioned, not to mention that Edgefield has archives with all the original documents. So anything else before we move to our next uh, guest? Uh, well, the only other thing I'd like to add, in my chapter, A Journey to Find My Butler um, Ancestors, I actually found another um, slave-owning name that I had always heard all of my life that we were um, related to, and that was the Hamiltons. And so mm-hmm. I write, I, I actually identified because I was, my ancestors were owned by the Phillips, and then they went to the Hamiltons. And so I write, I write a chap in there about that. But one of the most interesting things that happened to me um, last week, I received a call from a gentleman, and he had read the book, and he said, "Reading your book is like looking at my ancestors. You have the same relatives that I do, and it turns out that this gentleman and I are related." And he is related to the Hamiltons, the Hamilton side of the family. So that was just something that was very positive that came out of this book, and certainly something that I we're hoping that as people read the book that we will be able to find or they can identify with our relatives and contact us. That's right, and the book, Our Ancestors, Our Stories by the Memory Keeper, certainly has helped you to connect with new relatives, and that is exactly what the expectation was. So thank you yes. so much for sharing that information with us. Thank you. You're so welcome. Okay, we will now have Ethel and Ethel Hi, Bernice. Hi, Ethel. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and then tell us about the the resources you use to answer questions to construct your family tree and your story.
3: Okay. Well, I'm a native Long Islander born in Mineola, New York. I graduated high school and between various jobs, raising a family, I graduated from Hunter College, which is in Manhattan, New York, receiving a master's degree a Master's of Science and Education degree. I'm retired, I like to read, and I enjoy being with family. Okay. <laughs> always, yeah, well, that's it. The family is the family. Okay. Um, I've always been interested in knowing, um, so to speak, who's who in my family. Uh, I remember as a teenager I started jotting things down in the early 70s when my maternal grandmother came to live with us. Uh, Prior to that, we had been going south, and I knew my relatives, but um, at that time I wasn't interested in genealogy. I didn't even know about a family tree. Um, Mm -hmm. I had names written down on a piece of paper. And then around 1979, I remember when I was looking in the magazine, I had seen this pretty map of a family tree. And that brought back memories of the questions that I had written down. So I decided to purchase that, and I eventually um, started writing, putting the names in on a chart, and then I joined Ancestry.com, bought a computer. I mean, and from there on, I just you know been researching on and off. Hmm. So,
1: what resources now? Are you a part of the old? Oh, have you did you join the old Edgefield Genealogical Society?
3: Oh yes, I've joined that, um, and I've also um, with other societies too. But I joined that. I don't remember what year, to tell you the truth. But um, I, and I don't know how I joined it. I guess I think I went there one time, and I went into the square, and they were having some kind of function and I became very interested in it and then that's when I started you know researching there and deciding that oh boy this is where my information is and this is where I should be pulling up my stuff um, okay I, yes I use I was very impressed with the land deeds I found land deeds that my grandparents own and I was able to get a copy of Those deeds, and um, I also purchased a map. So from um, the library, which is um, Thompson Library, and I was able to, you know, plot out the lots according to where they were back then and there. And today, I found that very interesting. Um, What else did I use? I used and where um, did you
1: find the land? where, Where were the land deeds located?
3: Oh, okay. They were in the archives. Okay. Um, across the street, I think. Yeah, right. Across the street from the um, Thompson Library. But they're all affiliated together, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, found information from the Ed- Edgefield Advertiser newspaper, like Ellen did. And that's where I found my um, great-great-grandfather's name mentioned, that he had bought in some cotton, a bale of cotton, um, at, that was new because I, um, even though I have been going to Edgefield, because I still have relatives there, I never really looked at the Edgefield Advertiser newspaper. Mhm. And other resources. So you have
1: the land deeds, you have the map. You purchased the map. You had the Edgefield Advertiser. Any other uh, key resources that could help others when they start looking in in Edgefield or South Carolina, for that matter.
3: Yes, they do have a book there that has marriage marriages, and I don't remember what year it starts, but it starts at. But I did find um, some of my family members that were married, that had gotten married. I found their names and the spouse and the year they got married. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that was interesting. Um, can't think of anything else besides that. I use my personal obituaries and the censuses. And that's it I can think of.
1: That's all you can think of. Well, thank you so much. Yes, well, thank you so much. I'm going Mm. to just share with the group some of the resources that I've used, which Uh, It's uh, slightly different than some of the resources you've already heard. And one of the things I want to tell everyone is that uh, my paternal side is from South Carolina. I was actually searching for the living. I wasn't searching for dead. I just wanted to connect with with my living relatives. And so when you think about resources, it wasn't South Carolina I started with. I started with Afrogenius and And if anyone can can understand how important it is to start with Afrogenius, I looked at the surname list because I was specifically looking for for ancestors i knew i mean not ancestors but for relatives, and I knew where my family was from, but I didn't know Edgeville I knew of ninety six South Carolina. And so I had to have a map just to just to figure out where ninety six was, and some kind of way circled into and got into Edgefield, finding that they they were one of of the same or connected in some way. And so then I used Genius, and I put my surnames in Genius and the location. And to my surprise, Of course, when you start looking, you never realize somebody may be also looking. Someone else was looking, and that was a cousin. So I found a location, and so AfroGenius is one place. Another was Roots Webb. Just to put my name out there to say that I am seeking, I'm looking for uh, relatives. Another resource that I found that was extremely valuable was to connect with the Old Edgefield Genealogical Society. Now I'm saying this to you all because so many people, they start doing their research, but do they start connecting with the, the societies in their particular regions? And I, and I made that decision to connect. I won't say that I did not talk to family members because there were family members that I've gathered just a little bit of information, but I didn't have a whole lot because I didn't know that many relatives, as I said. So definitely connecting with the old Edgefield Genealogical Society gave me an opportunity to post a query. And this query, again, was put in the QUELL, which is the official publication of the Old Edgefield District Genealogical Society, and that quill, that posting went all over the country, basically telling people there's a person out there she's seeking uh, living relatives. So once again, look at your official publications. Old Edgefield has one. Many of the uh, genealogical societies and the various uh, towns and districts of South Carolina also have newsletters and the newsletter was a place of which I sought information. I also uh, did gather additional information, one of which was death certificates, marriage records, Social Security. Uh, I found that the Social Security was extremely helpful and helping me identify my grandmother's father. Social Security also helped with making certain that the death certificate that I received from my cousin, of whom was identified by way of AfroGenius, that she had the same information that I had. So I had to look at several different sources. And those sources, as I said, included death and marriage certificates and Social Security. I also experienced what I consider a whole bunch of different surprises. One of those surprises was to find out that my ancestors were a part of, uh, identified in a book on uh, South Carolina uh, World War I. There's a book there, a South Carolina World War I roster of soldiers, sailors, and Marines from 1917 to 1918. And to my surprise, I discovered that my ancestors were in there, one of which served in the 371st. And this was a unit, and I had a show on the uh, 371st. I also found a uncle, two uncles, also in World War I on this book. So that is a roster that is available for you to find your ancestors who were from South Carolina and specifically from that area. You can actually find them listed in this book. The Freeman Bank records also served as another source for me because I was able to identify in the Freeman Bank records, although this is something I don't cover in my chapter, but I want you to know that those records are there. They did include the names of my great-great-grandfather, his siblings, uh, his brother who put in the bank records, so that's something else that's available. And I can't even come close to saying what I have to say now, but the records of the field offices for the state of South Carolina, Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands between 1865 and 1872 are extremely valuable. And those records right now are on family search. And you can also find the whole description by getting the descriptive pamphlet Uh, M1910, that's Record Group 105. So that's uh, records that I'm hoping that we'll talk more and more about, but certainly the Freedman Bureau records are extremely valuable records for South Carolina. Now, there's the South Carolina Archives, and if you haven't visited the South Carolina Archives, I would hope that you would at least take a look at the South Carolina Archives Online database. Because while you're searching for your ancestors, you will also discover that you can go into the online database. And in some cases, some of the records are act the full document may be online with the archives, or it has the information that you can order. Your record, and I ordered several records from South Carolina after I found the information online. So I thought that that was uh, extremely, extremely valuable. Now I want to mention to all of you that there is a listing on the Old Edgefield District website of publications that they have. And so that you could find just a wealth of information. They have lots of books available that can help you with your research, and so check out their website. It's oedgs.org. As I mentioned, they have an official publication. It's called The Quill, and for the last five years, although it has just been discontinued in September there was a publication by the old edgefield district african american genealogical group called the home place and this publication had many many articles that were written uh, by tanya as well as african-american researchers and i think that if you ever have opportunity to get a copy of the home place you'll find a wealth of information the Quill right now does have information, news from colored people, and a whole bunch of other uh, stories and records, so it can give you some some additional information. As Ellen mentioned, the book by Jody Peeler, I did find my ancestor also in Looking Back, Moving Ahead, and this is uh, Mountain Creek Baptist Church, and also visited several. Churches and cemeteries in the Old Edgefield District communities of Greenwood, of Johnston, of Edgefield. I think when when Ethel and I went to Simmons Ridge, she found her ancestors' tombstones. So that's something that you want to definitely consider. And I have to say to everyone, I I must admit I was a little intimidated about going to uh, Edgeville, but I can tell you it was well worth the visit to, to go there, and I go there a lot. I also want to mention to all of you that in September, the old Edgeville District is having a Southern Studies Showcase, September the 19th through the 20th. And that's another opportunity that you will have to connect with individuals who are doing research. They have a lot of uh, research opportunities for you while you're there to get records. And one of the the really nice things about going to the Old Edgefield District Genealogical Society is that if you know your surnames, they have materials right there at the library so you could go in and tell them this is your sort surname, and you would like to see those records. And you could see the records for the black families and the white families. Because one of the things that I've discovered is that when you're doing your research, your African American research, you're also uh, doing your research on your uh, white counterparts. You find that and I found this, that my ancestors were living right down the street from the same people that are listed on the slave record, on the slave deeds. And so this is uh, something that's very important. Now, there's a question coming out of the chat. Where is the showcase? The showcase is held in Edgeville, South Carolina, It's September the 19th through the 20th, and it is sponsored by the Old Edgefield District Genealogical Society. And the more information is available online, okay? Now the the individuals who would like to call in, if you have any questions, we have a few more minutes we can answer questions. And I just have a question, because the line is open for all of the, uh, the memory keepers. Uh, any, any surprises? Have any of you had any surprises uh, during your research, during or after the publication of Our Ancestors, Our Stories? I'll start with you, Ellen. Any surprises? Uh, nothing major. I, I guess uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I actually made the connection with the Butlers and the Hamiltons because I had always been told that we were cousins, but no one could explain it. And when I finally got that 1861 will, I found out that our ancestors actually were at one point owned by the Hamiltons, so that was a, a surprise for me. Okay, and what about you, Ellen? I mean, Ethel? Oh, um well,
3: a good surprise. Um yes, um at the showcase last time we um at our signing, I did meet someone that could help me with my research. Um she knows something about my family. Um after she read the book, you know, she came up to me and gave me her um number. So that was a great help, you know. Okay. And Vincent? Well, no.
1: Same thing with me at the last showcase.
0: Um, when we went down for book signing, I actually, Nell is a relative.
1: <laughs> she, oh, had married great. Into,
0: she had married into the family of one of my great-great-grandfather's siblings. And, um, yes, I have some cousins that are that are family, uh, her son. So that was a surprise for me. And,
1: and she sort of brought that up while I was while we were talking. Oh really wow! And and Harris, any surprises for you?
2: Oh, not really. N-
1: not really. Well, I want to share with with everyone my surprise at the Southern Showcase 2012. Uh, Ethel <laughs> walked in the room, and just as a conversation, it was well, hello, and who are you, and and, and who are your ancestors? Well, Ethel said, well, Luke Cook. Well, because I had been studying my own family, my great-grandmother is in the household of Luke Cook in 1880 and listed as sister. I would never, ever have met her. <laughs> and when she shared this, I mean, I'm like, Oh my goodness! Do you realize that my grand- my great grandmother is in the household here? And so, of course, we took DNA. Okay, right. <laughs> that's right. Ethel and I are cousins. And so we're really happy. Now there's someone who just mentioned through DNA they learned of a strong connection to Edgeville and her parents are from Louisiana and she's related to Vincent and many others. And so That's so good. many yeah, so many people out there if you're testing and you start finding these South Carolina connections, I want you to really go back and think about the history out migration the fact that many people louisiana arkansas kansas you out there north hey you have south carolina roots think about your south carolina roots and tap into some of the resources that we have uh, discussed tonight now there's a question here have you all been able to figure out connections to family that was so westward, are those migrated? Any of you have you figured out the connections? Mm.
0: No, I haven't. Although I have a lot of family that are west, I, I, I do. But they actually migrated out of out of Estill and went west.
1: Okay, well. If anybody would like to ask a question, please feel free to call 646-200-0491. Uh, if we don't have any questions, any parting comments from any of the memory keepers, anyone would like to give any parting comments?
0: Well, I would like to say one thing. Don't, don't let your fears hold back greatness um, for you out here in a listening audience. Uh, in genealogy, a lot of people get very hesitant on asking questions. Well, if they're not going to give you the information, whoever you're asking those questions to, you're not going to get it. But you'll be surprised at how many people want to tell. They just wait for you to ask.
1: So ask. No harm in asking. That's right. The only thing they can do is tell you no, right? So no right. harm in asking. Uh, we do I have, have a. Plan. a-
3: Okay, um, go ahead. I have a funny thing. Um, genealogy is a lifetime. It's weird because at first I thought that you know you you would do your tree and that's it, but it isn't. You have to go on and on and on, and you're always finding new evidence, you know. So, um, like Vincent said, ask questions and start now and write it down. Let your children tell your children their history. Um, The stories about yourself, you know, I learned that I never really expressed myself as a child to my children, what I did as a child. So these things are important because we want to leave a legacy, and what better way to um, leave leave this legacy is by um, preserving your heritage by writing it down and also having it published. That's right. Thank you so much. Now, we do have two questions coming out,
1: uh, Area Code 504 and it's 376. You have a question or a comment?
2: Yes, yeah, enjoy the show. I just want to ask, uh, can anybody uh, share uh, with me the way African Americans picked their last names and whether or not on the slave schedule those last names appeared with their first names, uh, that whole last name situation? And I'll continue to listen.
1: Right. got this one, Bernice,
2: so you want me to Okay, take
1: it? well, you can take it, and then I'll say a few more things. Go ahead, Harris.
2: Uh, on the slave schedule, you're not going to find the last names or, or any names of, uh, of slaves. Uh, you'll just have the slave owner's name, and you'll have an age, uh, complexion, and uh, and, that's, and also some other stuff you need to look at on the slave schedule. It's the number of uh, houses that was dwellings that uh that, that owner owned that the slave owner owned. And also look in one corner and it'll tell you if that slave was a runaway. Uh after the after the end of the Civil War, uh uh, uh the freedmen were given a choice of what name they would like to have. They could take their slave uh slave owner's name or uh, they could take another name uh some, most of the time they took a slave owner's name but if, but you have to be very careful because I have an example in uh on my father's side of the family where uh once uh slavery ended uh they took one name and then ten years later they went back to the slave owner's name, so you know uh it was up to the slave what what they wanted to do
1: right. And and in my own case, my uh, my ancestors did take the, the name of the slave owner, and they are the Kemp. And so I can find them. I mean, I could find them in slavery. Uh, they had a listing of the names of all of the children that were enslaved in the inventory. And my ancestor in 1870, I really feel that he was kind of leaving me a road map because he named all of his children the names that were in that inventory, which was extremely uh, valuable in assisting with the the research. However, his name is not on the slave inventory. It's only the male, 35 years old, female, what have you, and that's it. But the name is not there. But the slave owner, of course, is a kemp. Uh, and I just want to make a, a statement about that. My my ancestors also, they were owned by the Kemp family, and they pretty much rotated through the family. They They never left the family. And so that was kind of a clue to tell me there was something there with that relationship. Uh, there is a, a comment that's coming out that we i think we are erroneous in saying that the master's name was taken it was the name affiliated with their family and so that's that's a comment that's coming from the uh from the chat room we do have another question and and it is also from area code 504 you have a question or a comment area code 504 Okay, I think they just put it on there, but there's no question and so I think as as we have shared with you the resources that we have used, we hope that you all will uh consider. Uh, when you begin to do your research in South Carolina, that you think about all of the resources we have talked to you about, think about the genealogical societies, and certainly we we hope that you will look at our ancestors, our stories, as an opportunity to study what we've done and also to write your history. As uh, Ellen and others, uh, Ethel has said, you know, you want to leave a legacy, and that's one of the things that we certainly wanted to do, and that's leave a legacy. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in tonight, and, and just good night. And special thanks to Harris Bailey, Jr., Ethel Daly, Vincent Shepard, and Ellen Butler. And remember, everybody, your ancestors left stories. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. And when you look at our ancestors, our stories by the Memory Keepers, you will find that we have taken everything that we said tonight to you and put it into our stories. Now you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page and AfroGenius Facebook page. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots podcast Tomorrow with Angela Walton Raji, and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, BB's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, and I look forward to you tuning in next week for a whole new August lineup. And this lineup has already been posted on Facebook. So thank you so much. Thank you, Memory Keepers. Love you. Love you very much. Good night.